Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. This is David Newman, author of Do It Marketing, 77 Instant Action Ideas to Boost Sales, Maximize Profits, and Crush Your Competition. And you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, which was named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover the smartest ideas behind what's actually working in the quickly changing field of modern marketing and sales. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or some of the helpful resource that I know of for whatever situation you find yourself in. Just connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. This episode of the Marketing Book Podcast is sponsored by Content Marketing World 2018 in Cleveland this September. I'm going to be there. How about you? Content Marketing World is a wonderful event where you can learn and network with the best and brightest in the content marketing industry, including several authors who have been guests on the Marketing Book Podcast. I'm going to be leading the workshop Industrial Manufacturing, Applying Content Marketing Best Practices to the Challenging Audience of Engineers with my friend and past Marketing Book Podcast guest, Rebecca Geyer, author of Smart Marketing for Engineers, an Inbound Marketing Guide to Reaching Technical Audiences. For details, go to contentmarketingworld.com and for the absolute lowest price when you register, make sure to use the promo code MARKETINGBOOK and they'll knock one $100 off your ticket price. $100. Think about it. That's $100 you can spend buying both of his drinks once you get there and still have money left over. I'll have more details in a few minutes. And now, on with the show. Today, we welcome David Newman to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his book, Do It Marketing, 77 Instant Action Ideas to Boost Sales, Maximize Profits, and Crush Your Competition, published by Amacom, now a part of HarperCollins. David Newman is a professional services marketer, strategic business coach, and nationally acclaimed marketing speaker who presents to groups of entrepreneurs and executives who want to generate more leads, better prospects, and bigger sales. David has been featured and quoted in the New York Times, Investors Business Daily, FastCompany.com, Sales and Marketing Management, Selling Power, NBC TV, and Entrepreneur Magazine. And interesting fact, David is the owner of the world's sweetest Labrador retriever named Woofy, who has her own website, Where'sWoofy.com. David, congratulations on Do It Marketing and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Hey, Doug, thank you so much. It's great to be here. So this book sent me to the emergency room. And the reason why is because I overdosed on practical marketing and sales strategies, tips, tricks, and tactics. Seriously, this thing is could have called it super concentrated. This one, it, it was almost too much, David. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It was terrific. And I have a theory 
that you're in the National Speakers Association and you had a leadership position there, right? Yes, indeed. So I have this theory I'm starting to pick up on after so many interviews and books and so forth that the great public speakers write some of the best books. An example would be you, your friend Joe Calloway, Joey Coleman, Marcus Sheridan, on and on. And I think it's because you become so accustomed to presenting the information, getting audience feedback, and sort of testing out how it works. And you're able to then put it together in a way that really keeps it moving like a talk. Has anyone ever mentioned that to you? Well, you know, it's so funny. That's a great insight. And thank you, by the way, for the compliment, because to be mentioned on the same day as those other folks is, is a huge honor in and of itself. It also works the other way, though, Doug, because I know as a marketer yourself and, you know, as a, as a thought leading merchant of ideas, you'll appreciate this. When we write the book, it also makes us a better speaker because in a way it's like capturing lightning in a bottle. Mm-hmm. George F. Will once was asked, you know, how do you come up with all these things that you write? And he said, I just sit down and I write and then I print it out and I read it. And then I say to myself, so that's what I think about that idea. So it's almost but the writing of it crystallizes the thought, which then fuels the speaking. And then, of course, it's a beneficial loop. But, yes, I think capturing so anyone who wants to be more articulate in their marketing and more articulate in business, the more that you write doesn't have to be a book. But the more that you blog, the more that you post, the more that you capture your ideas in some fixed format will make you a stronger idea person because now you know what you think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So tell us how, how did you come to write this book? And before I turn it over to you, I do want to mention that you were also like an English and drama major, I think, in, in college. I was. So there's a little bit of drama. It's, it's very entertaining. But please, how, how did you come to write this book? So, you know, you go to the bookstore and as a professional speaker or consultant or trainer or anyone, you flip through these books and some of the books that really influenced me, like books like from authors like Tom Peters and Seth Godin and Guy Kawasaki. And I just love these books that are vibrant and visual and visceral and books that are not just the typical wall of text business book. So as I was thinking about, okay. I'm going to get serious. I'm going to capture my ideas. I'm going to build my thought leadership platform in a traditionally published book. What I did not want to do, Doug, is another same-o, lame-o, wall-of-text business book. Mm -hmm. So believe it or not, even though it was in the manuscript stage, it was a Microsoft Word document, I was using what ends up in the book now, of course, is the flashy design and the typography and the color. I'll tell you, getting my friends at Amicom to commit to color inside of a business book, that was huge. That mm. was huge. Because they, you know, all they want to do, not just Amicom, because Amicom was a great, a great publisher to work with, but all the publishers, they want you to fit into the mold. Mm-hmm. And I said, I don't want to write a book that I wouldn't want to pick up in the bookstore and read myself. Mm-hmm. So that's why I wrote this book. That's why I wrote it in the way that I wrote it with the visuals, with the, you know, pops of color, the sidebars, the graphics, the images, the layout, the design, the typography, because I love that kind of book. So you look at Tom Peters, you look at 
you know, Circle of Excellence, you look at the Reimagined book, you look at all these books where he's practically, you know, it's almost like being in a live seminar mm -hmm. where he's got exclamation points and things <laughs> are in bold and red and big fonts and all kinds of craziness. How do you capture that in a book? Well, I did my very best to put that into my book, the flavor of the way I speak, the way that I engage with clients, the way that I do podcasts, the way that I do Facebook lives, all of these things. Tough to capture in a book, but that's the book that I wanted to read. So that's the book I had to write. Okay. Well, that worked because I, even before I started reading, I looked, you know, I flipped through it and I thought, oh, this is going to be different. This is fun. <laughs> this may be uh uh, a different read, and it is. So there's so many things to cover, and I'm and we're not going to have time for everything, but there are just some gems that I wanted to ask you about. And I got to mention that when I first started reading it, there was one quote that just grabbed me by the lapels and held on like so many of these. And I want to ask you to explain it. When you say that asking when your marketing will lead to a sale is like filling up your car's gas tank and asking, why aren't we there yet? Oh, my gosh. Well, so this is about especially with social media, and I think social media has evolved since 2013, but, and there's nothing in the book that is anchored in time. So it's kind of evergreen concepts. Mm -hmm. But what you're talking about is expecting a sales result from a marketing activity. Marketing activities generate marketing results. So they generate awareness, they generate visibility, they generate credibility, they generate the no like and trust factor. They might even generate some leads or some opt-ins or some, some engagement of some kind. But when you do marketing the right way, and of course you do sales the right way, emphasis on sales, right? You will get sales results. You'll get more sales, bigger sales, better sales, more profits, more clients, more customers. If you stop halfway and say, okay, well, we've done the marketing, now, where's, where's the sales stuff? It's like, well, <laughs> this is why they call it marketing and <laughs> sales. So marketing activity really tees up your sales activity. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I say to people when they ask me about the book or they ask me about the ideas in the book, I say, you know what? This is really not so much about marketing. It's about marketing-driven sales. Mm -hmm. So it's about 70% marketing ideas. 30% sales ideas because you can't have marketing lead you to the front door, knock on the front door, and then run away and hide behind the bushes. Mm -hmm. What do you say when the door opens? What do you do when the dog catches the car? You have to have a good answer for that. Otherwise, the sales won't happen. Yes. So next question. And I think, you know, there are so many things in the book that it's, I, I find myself explaining to CEOs sometimes or, you know, heads of companies, not necessarily marketing people as much, honestly. And what do you mean when you say that, when you explain that you need to sell the same way you buy? What's the disconnect there that, that people seem to still have? Well, you know, we each wear two hats in the, the big world. We wear our business hat. And then we wear our regular human being hat, our, our, our regular person hat. When we do marketing and sales, because we you know think it's like a hard driving, we got to go get them, we got to go close them, we got to go make it happen, we got to boost the numbers, we got to kick some butt. It's like, imagine being the buyer on the other end of that chain of mindset and conversation and languaging. People don't want to be sold. They don't want to be put in a headlock. They don't want to be 
you know, they don't want to be counted as a number. They don't want to be seen as a prospect. They want to be seen as a person. So if you start treating people like people and not like prospects or numbers or targets, I mean, that's the word I really hate, Doug, Mm -hmm. is, you know, make sure that you, you know, make sure that this resonates with your targets. It's like, we're not targets. We're not here to be sniped or to be shot at. We're here to be served. We're here to be helped. We're here to buy for our own reasons, not for the reason that the salesperson has to make their commission. So if we start to sell in that organic, comfortable, helpful, natural way, and the way that I talk about it in the Do It Marketing book, it boils down to four words, offer value and invite engagement. And the more value that you offer, the more engagement you will get. And I don't even consider it a sales conversation. I consider it a conversation where you're inviting someone to have a chat with you about how you can help them. Mm-hmm. Offer value, invite engagement, carve that in stone, folks. Now, one other thing in the book at the very beginning, and it's just sort of the things that I've heard so many times. What does David Newman say to companies people at companies who who claim they don't need to do any marketing because 99% of their businesses repeat and referral business. And then you can, you know, the visual would be a very self-satisfied person. Yes, 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 yes. Well, this is, you know, this is one of my pet peeves. This is one of my rants that I could go on, but I'll, I'll summarize. I'll boil it down. That to me is marketing malpractice. So that is abdication of one of your main responsibilities as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, as a corporate executive who's responsible for sales results. When you say we don't need to do marketing, we don't because everything comes to us. Well, at some point, the market's going to change. Technology's going to change. There's going to be market forces, regulation, taxation, compliance, you know, new disruptive uh, forces completely outside of our control. And that lead flow or that referral flow is going to stop. And then at that point, do you look at your team? Do you look at your employees? Do you look at your stakeholders or shareholders and say, well, sorry, ladies and gentlemen, business used to come to us and now suddenly it has stopped. So you cannot abdicate. You know, I I call this the the out of the blue syndrome. (laughs) Hey, where'd that client come in? Hey, where'd that customer find us? I don't know, boss. They came out of the blue. (laughs) They, They just came out of the blue. And so there is no blue. There is no blue. All of us, if we do good work for great clients, uh, we will, of course, get referred. We will, of course, get recommended. We will, of course, get some repeat and spin off business. But that's not a sales plan. That is not a marketing strategy. And that is not a proactive growth system that you've got your hands on the rudder and you are steering in the right direction and you are in control of your cash flow and your lead flow. So that to me is gravy. People say, oh no, we don't need turkey. We have plenty of gravy. Ah, you eat enough gravy, you'll start to starve. There's no protein in the gravy. <laughs> right. So gravy's nice. Let's get y'all some turkey. Yeah, and some, uh, you touched on it there, some predictable revenue. Sometimes if you say, well, oh, I see. Do you want predictable revenue? 
<laughs> Sometimes that helps to to get to the marketing malpractice. I love thing. that. I love that because all of that out of the blue, maybe someday you never know kind of marketing, that's not predictable. That's your you're totally a victim of circumstance. Yeah, any CEO I've spoken to about predictable revenue really lights up when you talk about that because they've lived through the roller coaster of uh, feast and famine. So the the marketing book podcast has listeners in uh, Mexico. So let's talk for a moment about Mexican food, specifically enchiladas. What is trusted advisor marketing and what does it have to do with enchiladas? Well, so like a delicious enchilada, Doug, think about a four-layer, meaty, cheesy, sizzling, golden brown combination of marketing gravity marketing leverage, amplification strategies, and ultimately the juicy, hot, meat, cheese nucleus of this is your reputation. So marketing gravity is what are you putting out there into the marketplace that pulls people into you? So some of that is marketing activity. Some of that might be organic. Some of that might be your email list. Some of that might be your social media At that point, once you've gotten some things going, how are you leveraging that? How are you leveraging that where you start to capitalize on your give, give, give strategy? And, uh, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk calls this jab, 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 right hook. So how do you start adding a couple of right hooks into all of that marketing gravity and value that you're putting in the marketplace? Like we said a moment ago, offer value, invite engagement, and some of that engagement might be to invest in your products and services and programs. And then how do we take that and amplify it and make it go nuclear and strengthen your signal so that you can amplify, replicate, and magnify your reach into the marketplace? And that might be things like using some keyword research or SEO that might even be having a podcast, Doug, like you have. That might be doing you know, some paid speaking at conferences and associations like our clients do. And then all of that leads to the red hot center of the enchilada, which is building your body of work, building your reputation. Some people call this the no like trust factor. Some people call it your track record of success. Some people call it your credibility. And all of these things need attention at all four layers. So it's not enough just to do great social media marketing and hope everything else works out. It's not enough to just make offers and start to invite people to invest in your services. It's not enough just to be the loudest kid on the block instead of working on being the best kid on the block or the most valuable or trustworthy kid on the block. And of course, if you amplify crap, then you get crap amplified. So we don't want that either. Mm -hmm. So all four of those things, once you dial those four in, I think your trusted advisor marketing status is going to skyrocket and that's going to make every sales conversation easier. Well, there are many models that you, you see in all these books, but I have yet to see one that was an enchilada. And who doesn't like enchiladas? So it worked for me, and I thought it was a great explanation. So to you, David Newman, I say, gracias. Bueno. We're going to take a break here so I can talk about one of my favorite things, single malt scotch. 
As I mentioned at the top of the show, this episode of the Marketing Book Podcast is sponsored by Content Marketing World 2018. I'm going back this September to Cleveland for this awesome conference, and I'm looking forward to meeting more of you just like I did last year. That was so much fun. I'm going to be doing a workshop with my friend and past Marketing Book Podcast guest, Rebecca Geyer, author of Smart Marketing for Engineers, an inbound marketing guide to reaching technical audiences. The workshop is Industrial Manufacturing, Applying Content Marketing Best Practices to the Challenging Audience of Engineers. If you're a manufacturing marketer and are able to attend, I just want to warn you, when this workshop is over, we may end up having to rush you to the emergency room at the Cleveland Clinic because you are going to be at risk of overdosing on so many awesome practical, actionable marketing insights that are going to grow your manufacturing business and boost your career. To get the absolute lowest price when you register, make sure to use the promo code MARKETINGBOOK and they'll knock another $100 off your ticket price. That's right. That's $100 you can then spend buying both of us drinks once you get there and still have money left over. But enough about that. Let's talk about scotch. If that rock bottom price to attend Content Marketing World isn't enough incentive, here's one more. When you register using promo code marketing book, there's also a bottle of scotch in it for me from the nice people at Content Marketing World. We're talking win-win here, people. But now let's say you can't attend Content Marketing World and you feel bad about that. Well, you can still send me a bottle of single malt scotch. Seriously. The mailing address is at marketingbookpodcast.com. Do it. But let's say you can attend Content Marketing World and you're thinking, well, Douglas, I like your podcast, but I'm just not yet ready to send you a bottle of scotch. But I would like to show my appreciation for what you're doing here. I've got you covered too. Here's what you do. First, pour yourself a drink. Have two. And then go to iTunes or Apple Podcast, as they call themselves now, and leave a one-sentence review for the Marketing Book Podcast. And then message me on LinkedIn and tell me which one is yours so I can raise a glass and toast your review and your good taste in podcasts. (laughs) And now, back to the show. Now, my favorite part of the book, and this is I know this is unfair to the rest of it, but it's about buyer persona marketing. Can you explain to the listener what buyer persona marketing is? And I think there's a lot of misperception of what it is out there too. There is. So buyer persona marketing, it just makes human person-to-person common sense. And the way that I explain this in my seminars and keynotes, I say, imagine that you're writing a letter. And at the top of the letter, it says, dear... And then the rest of the page is blank. And I'm giving you a homework assignment. You have to write a letter. Your first question, you're raising your hand. You're going to say to me, David, who am I writing the letter to? And it could be your boss. It could be your Aunt Sally. It could be, uh, you know, a prospect. Who knows? But let's say, okay, I'm telling you now, Doug, that you are writing a letter to your Aunt Sally. Dear Aunt Sally is what it now says at the top of the letter. Now, the second question, Doug, that you would ask me almost right away is, okay, for me to do the rest of this letter assignment, David, tell me why I'm writing to Aunt Sally. Am I asking to check on her health? Am I asking her for the cherry pie recipe from last Thanksgiving? Am I asking about Uncle Harvey's heart condition? Why am I writing to Mm -hmm. dear Aunt Sally? I would say, okay, Doug, well, here's the deal. You did love that cherry pie last Thanksgiving, and you are writing to your Aunt Sally. 
and you are writing to her specifically to get that cherry pie recipe from last Thanksgiving. Now, very few people would raise their hand a third time and say, well, what what words should I use? What's the exact, what's the opening line? You say, okay, dear Aunt Sally, hey, it was so great to see you last year and really loved the cherry pie. Would you be wonderful enough to share the cherry pie recipe? What I'm saying is, Doug, that letter would write itself because you've answered the two key questions. Number one, who am I writing to? And number two, why am I writing to them? At that point, everything in that dialogue, aka web page, email, blog post, what's the right subject line for this email? What should I put into the uh, you know the headline of my newsletter? All these questions. If you know the buyer persona, meaning you know your who and you know your why you're writing to them, all of a sudden, all of this marketing and languaging and messaging and packaging work becomes a hundred times easier. But the thing I see with the experts and consultants and speakers that I work with, they don't know the answer to these two fundamental questions. Number one, who do I serve? And number two, what problems do I solve? for those people. But then they ask me all like, well, what's the best headline? What's the best subject line? What should I blog about? What should I do a Facebook live on? What should my podcast be about? I'm like, dude, it, you can't let the tail wag the dog. Who are you here to serve and what problems are you solving? The rest will take care of itself 95% of the time. Yes, oh, that's wonderful. And that question is easy. Those two questions, as easy as they are to say, they are so difficult for companies to get out of their own way to answer. Absolutely right. Hardest work you'll ever do. And that's what I, that's what I tell my audiences too. I say, it sounds easy, tough to do. <laughs> it really, really is. I, I think that understanding your customers based on... What I've seen work well for a lot of companies, those that have the best understanding of their customers do the best. And you know what? They even just have to have a little bit better understanding of <laughs> their competition to do well. And also, you, you talk about how you really need to understand what their real problems are, like what's, you know, for lack of a better expression, what's keeping them up at night. And, and when we go and do like buyer persona interviews, it's never about the client's products. It's about that person's daily struggles, what their life is like, what, what their challenges are, where they go to get information, you know, the, the real things, which if you're able to tap into it can be so impactful. Absolutely. And so I've got two names for that. One is looking at their world and really finding out what's missing, funky, broken, and sad. That's one way to look at it. Funky, broken, and sad. Missing, funky, broken, and sad, folks. Write that one down. I know you're in your car. Don't, you know, don't get in a car accident, but you know, write that down. What in your prospect's world is missing, funky, broken, and sad? And the second thing, Doug, is what I call the six o'clock head in the hands at the bar conversation. So imagine that you just finished a day on site with one of your fantastic clients and they're like, oh, Doug, I am so glad that we brought you in. I'm so glad that we hired you because blank was driving me crazy and they never use jargon. They never use fancy language. They use guttural, visceral, emotional language. 
during that six o'clock head in the hands at the bar. Doug, thank God you came in because blank was driving me crazy. I felt like I was throwing money into a marketing black hole uh-huh. and I, I'm never going to get it back. Thank God you came in. So now if you hear that as a repeating pattern, whatever that prospect has said, six o'clock head in the hands at the bar conversation, that becomes a headline. That becomes an email subject line. That becomes a podcast episode. That becomes your next blog post. That becomes whatever it is. But that's what I mean by really knowing your buyers and what they're complaining about. And you're exactly right, Doug. It's never, oh, I wish I had some marketing consulting. (laughs) It's not about that. It's about the six o'clock head in the hands at the bar conversation. The more you talk about prospect problems with prospect language, the more business you will win. Right, right. And how is that? Let's. I think we're going into it, but I, I did want to ask you to explain the concept of the the marketing language bank. <laughs> I just loved it. Well, so the marketing language bank is doing a deep dive once into the kind of marketing language that you're going to use in every written and spoken format. So whether that's your verbal business card, the answer to, hey, what do you do? Whether that is, you know, what's printed on the back of your literal business card, that might be a speech that you give, a blog post that you write, a press release that you put out. It's think of like an accordion. So an accordion, when it's compressed, can be very, very concise. An accordion, when it's completely stretched out, could be your entire blog and maybe two, 300 posts. Maybe that becomes a 250-page business book. Maybe you're Doug's next guest on the Marketing Book Podcast, if you can do the accordion out to a 250-page business book. But it's collecting all of the headlines, sound bites, building blocks, complaints, problems, issues, challenges, that entire list of things that are missing, funky, broken, and sad in your prospect's world when they don't have your product, when they don't have your service, when they're struggling with the problems that you solve. What does that look like? What does that sound like? What is their language around articulating that? And you collect all of that, and now you are never faced with a blank screen. You are never faced with an empty Word document. You're never faced, well, gosh, well, what do I put on LinkedIn today? What do I tweet about? What do I put my next press release out about? What do I say to my next prospect in my next sales conversation? Because you've collected, collated, and curated all of this marketing language once so that whenever you need to go back to the well, You're going back into that same repository. This also means that your marketing language is more consistent, more aligned, and more repeatable. So it's not just you. If you're CEO, president, marketing VP of a larger company, you want everybody singing from the same hymnal. You want everybody doing plays out of the same playbook. Even to answer the question, so what does your company do? Ask five different executives. They give five different answers. Bad answer, right? It's the game show sound. The buzzer goes off. No, no, no. Everything needs to be aligned, clear, and consistent so that your messaging makes sense and your messaging resonates with your best buyers. Yes, and I think one of the most important words you said there was, it's their language. (laughs) Totally. And that's where you, you mentioned that, and this is really important for marketers, where you say it's so important to stop talking marketing speak and start 
speaking in what you call the profit-rich dialect known as prospect. Oh, yes. I mean, that's that's a new language, right? Learning to speak prospect language about prospect problems. So what that means is we have to take all of our five-syllable words and boil them down. Think about those two things we just mentioned. What is missing, funky, broken, and sad in their world, in their words? And what's that six o'clock head in the hands at the bar conversation? It's almost always going to be emotional. It's almost always going to be that coming out of the gut or the heart. It's not coming out of the head. It's not intellectual. It's not jargon. It's not buzzwords. It's not consultant speak. Yet how many times do we go to a company website or even, God forbid, a marketing firm's website? I know Doug is not guilty of this. (laughs) I try not to be guilty of this. But all you see is this big bloviated language and a CEO lands there and goes, yeah, no, they don't get it. I'm out. (laughs) I'm laughing to keep from crying, David. Right. Clients tend to hire us when they're experiencing one or more of the following. Each, ooch, ouch, pain, problem, headache, heartache, challenge, gap. As soon as you start to speak about them and their problems and their team and their technology and their marketing and their goals and their outcomes, we win. Because like you said earlier, Doug, the bar can be set pretty low. The bar can be set pretty low for companies that do this, and they they don't even have to do it well. They just have to do it because none of the competition is doing it. They're still stuck in their jargon and buzzwords and consultant speak. Oh, yes, yes. Let's move on because there's something else that I when I read it in here – I thought, you know, just possibly David Newman is my brother from another mother. And I say that because careful listeners to the Marketing Book Podcast know that I'm, I have a very sensitive BS meter when it comes to brand and branding. I've had very few books on the show about that topic. And I'm now going to quote from page 178 and ask you to elaborate. You said there is so much hot air being blown around about brands and branding by everyone from the brilliant Tom Peters and Brand You to the absurd, hundreds of so-called branding coaches who have glommed onto branding as a buzzword and refuse to let go. Small business branding is often code for a lot of BS from marketing consultants and ad agencies who are more interested in what's in your wallet than in what will grow your business and make your phone ring. I'm going to define brand very clearly and plainly. A brand is a promise of an experience. David Newman, please explain. Well, so yes, and the the title of that little micro chapter in the book is pretty straight up, Branding is BS. And Doug, you very well may be my brother from another mother. So thank you for not being on the branding bandwagon. And I'll tell you, you know, you and I know what branding is and what branding isn't. Where where I have a real problem is these branding consultants and branding agencies that say, well, let's, we're going to do your colors. We're going to give you a new logo. You know, if, if your company were car, what kind of car would it be? Oh, it would be a BMW. It would be a Rolls Royce. It would be a, a VW bug. Oh, come on. This is just nonsense. And it's, here's what it is. It is outside in. When you go outside in, let's talk about your color palette. Let's talk about your website. Let's talk about, is it masculine? Is it feminine? Is it a BMW? Is it a Porsche? These are all ridiculous questions. The question is, what do you do for your clients? What do, how do you improve their life or their business or their finances or their manufacturing? And then from there, 
right? Then we can worry about how do we dress that up? How do we communicate that with a really sharp, really clear logo? What colors make sense? What colors don't make sense? Those decisions take care of themselves. But when you say, oh, we're doing a whole brand audit around your website, around your logo. We're going to ask 500 people what they think about your colors. It just makes me crazy. It's kind of like, you know, gypsy fortune tellers wandering the land, posing as business consultants. And when I say about a promise, anyone can make a promise. Anyone can make a promise. Anyone that has integrity can deliver on that promise. And then if you can replicate and repeat that promise, where someone says, oh man, you know what? You got to go to Doug Burdett because Doug is the man. Doug helped me. Doug said he was going to do A, B, and C and he delivered in spades. Okay, well now your brand, another way to talk about this is your brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. Mm -hmm. Nothing to do with logos, nothing to do with colors, nothing to do with all the set dressing. The set dressing is great and that's fun, but the brand is really who you are at your core and what you do. Even going back to those two key questions, my brand, your brand, all of our brands is who do you who do you serve and what problems do you solve? And if one of your happy clients can convey that to somebody else, you have a great brand. If they don't know or they don't care, then your inner brand needs some work and it ain't about your website colors and it ain't about your logo. Oh, so true. And there was a another author uh Allison Stratton, whose husband is uh, Scott Stratton, they wrote Unbranding. You've probably run into them on the speaking circuit. Yes, indeed. Circuit. Sure. Scott's great. Yeah, and they wrote a book on unbranding, and it was about branding in the modern age. And the, it was a hundred little chapters, you know, written in only the way they can, which is just very entertaining. And the very first chapter, the title was something like, Your Logo Doesn't Matter. <laughs> Amen. First chapter out of 100, and it's a book about branding. So there you go. Now, David, there's just a couple other things I really want to cover with you that I just I just thought would can't let it go on the, on the, edit, the cutting room floor here. Why do you recommend against trade show exhibiting? Well, I recommend against any sort of marketing activity where you are one of many. So you're on the trade show. You got a trade show booth. There's 75 other trade show booths. You're in the uh, yellow pages. Yes, kids, there was such a thing as the yellow pages, whether it's online, offline, paper or electrons, doesn't matter who's right above you, right below you, right into your left, right to your right, your direct competitors. So you do not want to be in the book. Yeah. And you say don't don't buy ads in directories for the same reason. Well, then it just becomes an arms race. Who's got the bigger budget? Who can get the bigger ad? Who's got the four color? Who's got the two color? And you're never going to win. You're never going to win the, you know, my ad is bigger than your ad. So I don't recommend trade shows. I don't recommend being in any kind of directory or, you know, online portal, because what you're doing is you're directly inserting yourself into a competitive landscape. And that almost always is about price pressure or a beauty contest or both. Mm -hmm. Now, next question. If you're networking with strangers, you're wasting your time. Why why do you say that and and how can people network smarter? Yeah, well, so the opposite of networking with strangers is networking with your friends, meaning networking with and through people who already know you, like you, trust you, would recommend you. Maybe they've used you before, you've used them before. So networking, you know, one of the kind of small potatoes problems 
that especially solopreneurs, but even some small business owners have, they want to go down to the chamber. They want to go to the networking events. They want to go to the business card exchange. They want to do all <laughs> these things. And all they're doing is they're constantly exposing themselves to first time strangers. And as you might imagine, Doug, that is not where relationships are built. That is not where trust is built. That might be where an initial introduction happens, but even there, it's sort of random. So what I recommend is look at your existing Rolodex. And yes, kids, there was such a thing as a Rolodex on your desk. Man, I'm just dating myself left, right, and, and Yeah, we're side. going down memory lane. We're, we're yeah. going way down here. We got yellow pages, fax machines. It's crazy. So look at the people who you already know. Look at the people who already know you. And going back to our earlier mantra, what can you do with that circle of people to offer value, invite engagement, and even possibly build what I call a referral posse? A referral posse is an organic circle of people who are in a natural, comfortable position to refer and recommend each other. So if I'm a marketing speaker and a marketing author, I'm probably friendly with some sales speakers and some sales authors because marketing comes first, sales comes second. Well, who might they need after sales? Maybe I'm friendly with a couple of customer service trainers and speakers and so forth. So when the customer service person hears of a sales problem within one of his client companies, he's going to refer the salesperson in our posse the sales trainer. When the salesperson says, man, I've got a client, their sales team is great, not enough leads, not enough interest, not enough prospect conversations are happening. David, I think they need some help with marketing. So sales then refers marketing. So this is very tightly aligned and having two or three or four people in that referral posse, whatever business you're in, service business, product business, B2B, B2C, doesn't matter. There are these natural pods of networking and referral relationships that we need to be intentionally creating, strengthening, and reinforcing over time. Do not network with strangers. Network with your friends. Mm. Stop networking with strangers. Get yourself a referral posse. David, last question about the book, and that is what seemed to fly in the face of all the a lot of sales recommendations and, and research studies and so forth, and that is why do you recommend that people stop wasting their time following up with prospects? That, that just seems to fly in the face of all the, the sales best practices, so to speak. Well, Doug, you know how this works, my friend. We, we got to sell books here. We got to sell books. So if I'm saying branding is BS, follow up is a waste of time, people go, hmm, I wonder if there's an element of that that is true. I will tell you the absolute element of that that is true that – the way that most sales executives, the way that most entrepreneurs follow up, it is value-free chasing. <laughs> <laughs> so, Wonderfully. A oh, great expression. Yeah, value-free value chasing. Value-free chasing is like, hey, you guys re re ready to buy yet? Is my check ready yet? Hey, can I take your order now? <laughs> and it's literally, it's stalking, it's creepy, it's weird, but that's how 80 to 90% of quote-unquote sales professionals do their follow-up. Now, what I say is a decision maker makes decisions. When you have a well-oiled sales process, 
you are looking for micro decisions or micro commitments along the way. Going from one micro commitment to the next bigger micro commitment, that's not follow up. That is continuing your sales process Mm -hmm. and it's not value free chasing. So what's value added follow up? Value added follow up is acting as if you're the trusted advisor. You've already been hired. How can you help that prospect make a good decision? about buying or investing in your product or service that ultimately solves their problem and gets them the outcome that they want. That does not mean you do a whole bunch of product demos. That does not mean you jam their hard copy mail inbox with brochures and pamphlets and flyers. That means that you're genuinely of service to them before they buy. We're all doing a great job serving our clients after they buy. I want you to think about this metaphor change here. What can you do to be of greater service to your clients before they buy because that is value rich follow-up and that's what's going to lead to sales so stop doing the value free follow-up and start figuring out how do i treat this client like they're a client even before they become one well said david if readers took only one thing away from the book what would you hope it would be i think this whole concept that we talked about with the enchilada of trusted advisor style marketing and the definition of a trusted advisor doug of course is someone who holds their prospects well-being above his or her own Mm -hmm. if we can start being more of service and more helpful and more valuable to our prospects we will also get more clients and customers that's the one big takeaway from the book amen less of a self-orientation and i once saw a talk by uh, Anthony Anarino, who's a tremendous author and speaker of books about sales and that type of thing. And he was talking about trusted advisor status. <laughs> and I couldn't believe it. But he said, to be a trusted advisor, you have to have trust and advice. <laughs> and then he went on to explain how so many people in sales, they don't have any advice. And they don't have any trust because there's too much because they have, as uh, James Muir says, commission breath. Yes, 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 yes. I love that basic breakdown. Okay, gang, you need two things. You need trust (laughs) and advice. But the way he presents, you know, uh, maybe you've run into him too, but the way he presents, uh, he he had everybody eaten out of the uh, palm of his hand. So what books have inspired your work and career? Well, I would say maybe it's more authors than books, but certainly the books I mentioned. Uh So Tom Peters, Huge Influence, Seth Godin. A lot of people say, oh, Seth Godin, Purple Cow, Seth Godin, Purple Cow. I'll tell you, for me, it wasn't Purple Cow. It was Lynchpin. Lynchpin is just an amazing, I think, underrated book in Seth's library of great books that he's written. So it's people like that, you know, people that like to upset the apple cart, little contrarian, little passionate, little, you know, little nudgy, little irritating. If you're not irritating somebody, as a marketing author, as a sales speaker, as an expert, as a uh, sales professional, if you're not irritating somebody, uh, you're probably not doing your job. And those guys are my favorite professional irritants. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. And we'll make sure to include links to their author page or, or that specific book by Seth Godin in your episode show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. So are there any uh, recent or upcoming books that you recommend or looking forward to reading? So I just picked up a great book called The Business of Expertise. Oh, yes. One of my favorites. And David Baker's, I got to interview him for the 
for this podcast. That book See has that? such an impact. We are it, brothers from another mother. I'm telling you. So that is an absolutely great book. And the other recent book that I'm really enjoying is Principles by Ray Dalio. Oh, I don't know that one. Oh. So that's another, that's a very rich, dense book, but very, very much worth reading. Okay. Well, definitely check that one out. Thanks for, thanks for telling me about that. So, David, how best can listeners learn more about you and your book? So the, the mothership, of course, is the website, doitmarketing.com. And there are also some companion tools and resources that specifically go with the book, which are at doitmarketing.com slash book. Okay. And let's not forget about your uh, furry friend who's right there as we speak, Woofy. We're going to include a link to her website, whereswoofy.com. Oh, yes. And also on Twitter, you're D Newman, D-N-E-W-M-A-N. So yeah. uh, listeners, if you're out there, tweet at David and uh, thank him for being on the show. And I'm Marketing Book on Twitter if you want to add me to the conversation. David, we're also going to include a link to your LinkedIn profile. And for the listeners, if you're, if you're listening on your smartphone and you have subscribed to this show on your podcast player like Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Google Play Music, all these links can be found by going to this episode on your podcast player and clicking on the show notes. The name of the book is Do It Marketing, 77 Instant Action Ideas to Boost Sales, Maximize Profits, and Crush Your Competition. The author is David Newman. David, thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast. Doug, great to be here. Thank you. And that closes the book on episode 181 of the Marketing Book Podcast. For more, check out this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or other helpful resource for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. My name again is Douglas Burdett. Special thanks to our sponsor, Content Marketing World 2018. To support the Marketing Book Podcast and get the absolute lowest price on attending, go to contentmarketingworld.com and use the promo code MARKETINGBOOK. I will also include a link to Content Marketing World at marketingbookpodcast.com. And please join us next time as we welcome Jeb Blunt back to the Marketing Book Podcast for the third time to talk about his new book, Objections, the ultimate guide for mastering the art and science of getting past no. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. I'm sorry, Matt. My dog is barking at the door. Oh, let I didn't even hear it. In. Yeah, go ahead. This That's is a dog-friendly okay. uh, podcast, too. Just Dog-friendly so you know. podcast. Yes, please bring her in.